Hello everyone and welcome to the Archivist Podcast. I'm your host Yuri and this is episode 4 Eyes into Martin Marcello. I am so elated to be having this conversation about one of my top three designers and in the past 30 years one of the top 10 designers we've ever seen and maybe top 10 designers ever period (laughs) and I thought that since this is the archivist podcast, I think it was important to talk about a designer that has had some of the most iconic archive and artisanal pieces we've ever laid our eyes upon. So I just thought it was very important. Sidebar, I just wanted to say that I hope everyone is remaining safe and remaining healthy and social distancing. I know that this time and space that we're in is very difficult for a lot of people. I have a lot of friends in the fashion industry. I have a lot of friends as entrepreneurs. And right now it's just really a tough time for everyone. So I just want to say there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And also, I just want to thank all the health professionals for being in that space to take care of everyone that is sick. And just remaining strong, you guys are literally the backbone and the forefront for everyone right now. So I just wanted to put that little tidbit out there and just say we appreciate you and just releasing good energy out to everyone in these difficult and trying times. So let's dive in. I wanted to really dive into this designer because I think that A lot of times we forget that archive pieces and artisanal pieces are something that withstand the test of time. And these are the pieces that we remember about the designer. Right now, we are pumped with so much content and so many runway collections and designers reinventing themselves and collabs. And Margella in the late 80s, when we didn't have, you know, the internet and Instagram and Twitter, he was able to connect to a really broad audience using things that we see every day and doing a lot of reconstructive and deconstructive work that was so important to fashion because in the late 80s it was fashion was a lot of glamour a lot of glitz and in the late 80s you had a lot of women you know you had women that were like the Oscar like Oscar de la Renta woman or the Escada woman and I felt like Margiela at that time designed for the everyday woman who wanted to still be chic and fashionable but have things that she can wear because she's, you know, taking the train or, you know, going to work or has kids, you know, just everyday women. So I think that is very important to talk about a designer that changed the landscape of how we look at archive and artisanal work. So just like a brief history about Margiela, He's from Belgium, Belgium-born. Belgium produces some of, you know, 
the best designers ever. I don't know what water is over there, but they produce very iconic designers. So from Belgium, um, he started his deconstructive style in the 1980s while he was doing freelance in Milan, Italy. And it would it would be said that his work would often reveal the garment structure that was very important to him. I always say that Marcella, he is a man that understands lines, understands structure, understands the human body, and understands how garments flow. And intentionally exposing lines and seams and doing those unconventional things that when you saw the garment, you knew for sure that's Margiela without any label, without any face of the brand. And so I think that his anonymity tied into his brand success. So in 1984, he became Jean-Paul Gaultier's design assistant in Paris. He held that role into 1987. And I always say that I think that his role as Jean-Paul Gaultier was a catalyst for his career. I just think that Jean-Paul Gaultier being so opposite of what Mason Martin Margiela ended up being was very important to his fashion career. Even when in the 1989 collection, when he dropped the tattoo top, I thought that it was a, that was amazing that was an amazing, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An amazing, like, own to Jean-Paul Gaultier. And still to this day, it's a very high-priced archive piece. Really hard to find for people to resell it. Because that's just a piece that you should just always have, keep. And also his unorthodox design techniques. And I always refer back to Ray Cockwell and Comme des Garçons because her beginning was in the reconstructive and deconstructive aspects. And I believe that their stance on the reason why they designed that way was a bit different. I would say Ray's stance was more of a of a fuck you to Japanese culture as far as how women should dress. And I think that Margiela's stance was more of making something that was unconventional and for the everyday woman and not giving a fuck. And I think that was that stance more towards the consumer and less towards more of a political stance, I believe, that Ray Kakubo had. I think that Margiela reflect a lot of a raw, unfinished, and grunge in his collections. And not like Vivian Westwood grunge, rock grunge. I think more of like Salvation Army, biker type of grunge. Black, grays, whites, those mute colors that really look good on everybody. That's why I always say I think Margiela was definitely for the everyday woman. And I also always say that I don't think Margiela designed for the masses as far as 
being popular. I think that his brand carried the soul of his Masson. So especially when I was watching the Remargella documentary, at first I didn't understand why it was called Remargella. Like in my notes, the first thing I said was, why we Margella? And then as the documentary went, went on, I really understood that we Mar- Margella was about his mason, his house, and how the whole house was a creative entity into the eyes, into Martin Margella. I think he released his vision to his mason, and then in turn, they understood the vision and as a house they created throughout the eyes of Margella. And I think that was very important for his for his brand's success, for everyone to be on one design accord and understand that this is who Martin Margella is, this is how we should design Miss on Martin Margella, and this is who we're designing for. And I think all those whys and hows are the reason why the house was so successful. And then when you couple in his hot couture and the Martin Margiela artisanal realm of his design work, we really go into amazing pieces that I think his artisanal pieces are the pieces that are the most rememberable, especially for me, especially the comb dress. Um, You have the sock sweater, you have the broken place waistcoat, the plastic grocery bag top, the gloves top. You have the ice cube jewelry, the plain cars artisanal gillet. You have all these different things that you have the Margiela $11 bill wallet. You have the blonde hair scarf. You have the tattoo top. You have all these artisanal designs that really still today have withstand the test of time just because I feel like these are items that you see every day. And I don't know if any other designer was going to be able to really understand lines and symmetry and structure to use to design these things that we see and use every day. You have a deck of playing cards in your home. Women, you have gloves. You have a plastic grocery bag. You have a sock. And now we have these amazing artisanal pieces that wear very beautifully that now today in 2020, you will wear, you want to find, you want to collect, you want to horn, you want to have. And I think that was very important for Margella, for his house to be rememberable. Because still today, here we are having these very important conversations about someone that nobody really seen and nobody really knew. And, you know, you didn't know his political stance and you didn't know his ideology of why he made something. You just saw the garment 
And then you made your own intellectual input on why you think he designed it that way. And I think when you took when you take away all those different aspects and just put the garment in front of somebody and let and let them dissect on why it was made that way, that's fashion, that's art. Because once you throw political stance and you throw elaborate runways and you throw the front rows with all these amazing design all these amazing socialites and people like that. You don't look. And I think that that's why Margella is so, like, you want to, like, I always, say, I always say I feel like he's a designer that you, like, you, you try to grasp, but you can't because you don't know. It's like you being in, like, a, a padded room or something like that. And you can't get, you you can't touch, you can't, you're just, it's just somebody that you just can't touch, you can't. You can't grasp. You kind of just in this room, you're looking at this garment and you have to make your own ideologies about it. You can't really compare it to anything else but what you think. And I don't know why I use a padded room, just a room. (laughs) But I think it's very important to look at his anonymity and you know, Margiela was amazing, but he would have been nothing. He would have been he would have been nothing without Jenny. I think that she marketing wise helped Margiela to maintain his anonymity, but also be dynamic and be known. And I think she really, really did a great job at that. And it's something that brands still today try to replicate and try to instill in their house that anonymity and you know we saw with we see it with Helmut Lang and how he's taken that stance on anonymity and so I think that now with anonymity and how Margella used it we're we're like I said before just a couple seconds ago, we're still focused on the garments at hand. And I think Margella had a very clear idea of what he wanted and nothing was impossible. When he was in Italy and looking for a knitwear factory, um, a lady by Miss Deanna said that he she he was one of the most amazing people she ever worked with because his creatives the way he created was so easy. And it was so effortless. And the things that he were doing was so unconventional, but it worked. And I think that Margiela wasn't just built on clothes. I think that he didn't just want people to consume and wear and throw it away. I think he wanted you, when you wore the garments, you felt the soul of Margiela. You felt the soul of the Masson of We Margiela. And now... Even when I wear a Margiela piece, I feel a part of something. I feel I feel like a Margiela woman when I wear it. I feel very connected to the brand's history and the brand's core and the brand's soul. And that's a that's a goal to have, you know? And I always say that 
he made garments that were enthralling in the ways imaginable. It's things that I never expected that I would want to wear. So recently, since this coronavirus pandemic, while I was on my research, I literally forgot about the sock sweater. Like years ago on YouTube, maybe like six years ago or something, I saw I saw like the the how to somebody like me and I'm like, whoa, this is this is interesting. And side note, Margella even making his artisanal his artisanal sanction of his brand, actually even making a how to for the sock sweater was genius just because it connects to his consumer. You feel like you are working at the atelier and you're able to make a Margella garment and you're able to wear it and you're able to say, I I did a how-to. And that's cool and that's dope. And I think that another reason why he's the best. But side note, so because of this, I've been doing all my research, watching documentaries, scrolling the internet, reading books. And I was like, I should go make the sock sweater. I think that this ties greatly into me releasing the Margiela Eyes into Martin Margiela podcast. So I went to Walmart, got some really nice hang socks. I can sew a bit. Like I could have made the socks on a sewing machine because it's really simple. It's not too much to it. But I don't have a sewing machine anymore. So I was like, let me use safety pins. So I ended up creating the sock sweater with safety pins and the process was very easy and I felt I felt a part of Margella while I was doing it. I felt like I was in Paris <laughs> because I was able to connect his brand and my creativity into one and it made me want to dive more deeper into his history and why he did the things he did. So I think it was super important. And while I was watching the Me Margella documentary, it was a quote that I really liked. And I can't remember who said it, but they said, the true visionaries without knowing the whys and the wares create by reaching into their deepest passions and on rare occasions, anticipate events before they happen. And I thought that was an amazing quote to connect to who Marcella was. I think he has the, sorry, the unique disposition to know how his audience is going to relate to his collection and his garments without saying a word. And I think the whys and wares created by the passion in his house, if that makes sense. And kind of when you think about it, a lot of Belgian designers are a bit of surrealists. And I think that for some reason, no matter what designer, you know, comes from Antwerp and Belgium, they are surrealists and they and and it, and it 
and you see it in everything that they do. And, you know, even when you look at Raph and you look at some, some not entirely deconstructive and reconstructive work, but just you just kind of see that Margella, you, you see Margella in these brands, you see them. It's, it's so dynamic. And I think that when you, th- like, they, they say that Margiela was the seventh Antwerp six. I mean, he was the seventh Antwerp six because I feel like when you look, when you look at a Belgian designer, you can tell that that's a Belgian designer. You can tell. It's very, it's very evident. Because I think that their stance on design and politics, a political realm a bit, is the same. But that's what I think. I don't, I don't know. So I, so I made a list of, of shows that I really think were amazing to the Margiela brand. So you have the Spring Summer 1989 collection. Okay, the Cafe de la Guerre Paris collection. And that is when we first saw the tabby boot with the circuit with the cylinder heel. And the tabby boot to this day top two and it ain't two, okay? It is one of the it's one of those shoes where no matter what you wear with it, it goes with anything. It's very chic, but it's a bit odd. But you really like it. You know that meme when the when the when the lady's like drinking the kombucha and she does that face? She's like, hmm, well, no. Like that's what the tabby boot does for me. I don't it's it's enthralling. It it, it ties you in. You like it. It's fashionable. It's chic. You feel you feel expensive. You feel avant garde. You feel you feel like you understand fashion. You understand the history. And Japanese culture is one of my favorite cultures. And I love I love their food. I love their fashion. And I think that he took something that was so that was a norm there and made it chic. And like I said, still to this day, we, people love it. People love them. So in 1989, for, for collections, collections on in, Margiela couldn't, couldn't find someone to produce the tabby boot. And so for years, he would just repaint the same pairs he had with white to make them look new. And eventually he was able to find someone to produce them, which in turn made them the most sought out boot ever. Recently, the tabby boot became popular again. I remember I would be on eBay and Japanese bidding sites. And I mean, they were still pretty expensive, but you could find a pretty cool used pair for probably on Japanese sites, probably like 250 250 300 
and it's depending on what size you wear. So I have, you know, I wear a size seven. I could wear like a 38. Actually, my Margella tabby slides are 39 just because it's, the slide is just pretty narrow. So I had to get a 39 in them. But usually in the boot, I could wear like a 38. So that size is, was was pretty, the, the price point was pretty doable. Now you're looking at, you know, $500, $700 for resale. And you're looking at the high 900s for brand new. So, you know, that's the, that's, that's the piece that the resale value of it retains it. And like I said before in my podcast two episodes ago, the tabby boot in itself is an archive for the masson, for the house. The tabby boot that you buy on Essence today isn't an archive piece unless you buy the tabby boots from the late, the, I mean, the early 90s. If you buy it on Essence today, you just have a structure that's an archive for the house, not for you, for a collectible. So I just wanted to let everyone know that I see people say archive tabby boots. And I'm like, you just got those. Now, if you have, you know, like I said, 19, early 1990s tabby boots, then you got an archive piece. But remember, the structure of the tabby boots, the Cylinder Hill is an archive to the house, to the house. Personally, I only in, I don't know, but I only like the solid color tabby boots. I don't really like like the glow in the dark ones or the different prints, but that's me. I, I just like, like the platinum, the patent black leather ones are my fave. I think those are just can go with anything. I think jeans you know, a suit, you know, a, a cool pant, a dress, anything. I think that those are the dopest for sure. Actually, my friend sent me like a Mary Jane tabby heel with the strap on the ankle. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, I mean, it doesn't matter what, like how they shape the tabby boot. Or the or, or what they make it into, like no matter what, like it it just looks good with anything. I mean, you could wear it with anything, and it looks amazing. So, also, when you look, one of my favorite collection is the flat collection. When that was a uh, spring summer nineteen ninety nine, uh, is when he turned the doll's wardrobe into adult clothing and. I always say, I always say like, no, fashion is 3D, not 2D. But this is the only time that I love the 2D. I love that he had the the men in the white lab coats holding up the garments in the flat collection. And they look so good flat. So I can just imagine how those designs would look like on me. And oh, it was amazing. And... Another another collection that people were angry about was the All Dolls wardrobe. That was the um, fall, winter, 1994, 1995, when he decided decided to not do any runway collection and and just show and have the presentation in stores. I remember, and I think it was a Wee Margiela documentary or in his own words, when they said that the, the critics and everyone was pissed because he just dropped this collection and then kind of walked away and 
they thought that this was going to be the end of Margiela, that he, you know, gave everyone a bad taste in his mouth. But I thought it was super important for his brand's history for them to know without the critics, without the publicity, publicity, excuse me, that Margiela is still the best. And they don't need elaborate one-way shows to release a collection because they have loyal, like, cult followers that are going to follow him no matter what he does. Um, so I think that was important to his brand. One of my other favorite collections would have to be the Black and White Paris collection. I think that the those two, I hate calling black and white colors, but, but those two, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Those two hues, I guess, hues, um, were kind of, that, that collection was very important to how we look at why, I guess he uses white and that's the only color he uses. And I always said, I was like, some, some, designers and some collections and some brands you know critics they always looking for the next collection to be the best and to be and one up the previous collection and I think that the color white to Mason Martin Margiela as a brand was important because it was like every season he wiped a clean slate and I never did this and I don't I don't know if other people did it but I never compared any other one it was as if we were seeing a reimagine new Margiela every season and I think that the white and the color white that he used connected that very well and it was every every season I feel like it was like a clean sight and it was it was something anew and I remember let me look at my notes I remember Jenny said she said the white screen, white is a screen that we use on which people project themselves a lot. And I think that also with the white screen, in quotations, we all as people, as creatives, as fashion enthusiasts, as designers, we write our stories on these blank pages and, you know, we, you know, we, we go on Instagram and people type, type up how they're feeling on like these, like the, the blank canvas of nothing. And, and, you know, people use these Instagram captions on a white background and we're on Twitter on a blank canvas and we're writing our stories or our ideas and what we think about things. And, you know, you're on Tumblr, you know, we used to, everybody's Tumblr, writing, writing how you feel. And it was something that you did because you wanted to write, write your story and write your ideas down and wait and how, and how, and how you project on things. And I think that the white, was important for how Margiela projected his self and his brand on others. But back to my favorite collections. So then we had the Stockman collection. 
still to this day, I need, I need the the dress form top. I need it. Oh my goodness. And the Stockman collection to me solidified my love for Margella. I think that making the dress form of a dress form of how a woman's body should look. Not should look, but how how people see the woman's body and dress forms cinch in, in cinch waist, nice per, perky titties, flat stomach, you know, very nice shoulders, arms that are very like not too big, not too small, just a very chic body form. And I loved the Stockman collection. It was it was one of my faves. And that was in spring summer nineteen ninety six. And I think before in his previous collections, everything he did before that, this was something that I was able to see a lot, a lot, a lot of structure. I think like the the Seven Woman collection that was in fall winter nineteen ninety three nineteen ninety four. I think that was when we saw a lot of that magenta and pink. I think that a lot of that those garments was were were very flowy, were very feminine, had a lot of femininity to them, and I think that the Stockman collection had a lot of. It was very it was very feminine with the dress form, but also think a lot of grunge, and it was kind of. It it had it had that natural tan color, and I loved it. Uh, let's see. We have the print collection, one of my faves. That's spring summer ninety six. The no title collection that was spring summer nineteen ninety seven. I mean, he has some, he has some pieces there. But I really attest a lot of my love for Margella to his artisanal collections. One of my favorite artisanal collections would be the comb dress. Also, I really love the, 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 when he did the theater, when he took all the old theater costumes and jackets and dresses and everything. And that's what he made his, that artisanal collection about. I think the theater was one of my faves. Um, look out! Oh, that was the Avengers uh, Theater costume was the artisanal line spring summer ninety three. Now, if you go back and you look at, if you go back and look at the, if you look at the black and white Paris collection, I believe it was some remnants of the artisanal theater costume collection in that collection. I believe. I remember I seeing like a. I remember I saw. It was really amazing, like crop theater jacket. Uh, it was like gold. Uh, it had like four buttons. It was it was super amazing. So I I saw a pattern where you would see like the same year that the runway collection would come out, you would see remnants of that artisanal collection of that season in the runway collection. So now we can see how wearable 
the artisanal collection from and how it could blend in into that certain collection. And it went hand in hand and that was super important. Um, and Margella, especially in his words documentary, he always connected the love of hair that he had into his collection, which goes into like the blonde hair scarf. You have that, you have that, the, um, it was like a hair jacket that he had and he connected his love for hair to his mother when they had the barbershop. His mom sold wigs after hours. And Margella always said that's something that that inspired him so much. So when we look at like the blonde hair scarf and even some accessories he had, like the necklace, and he had the hair, the hair connected to the, the long necklace. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite, this is why I said a padded room. I just remember that the Margella padded cotton top from uh, fall, winter, 1995. That's, I don't know. I was thinking, I was like, why do I keep having the padded in my brain? And I, now I remember, cause I was looking at it last night. I was like, man, like this is, this is so amazing. The padded top, I think. That was super, oh my goodness. I was watching, um, I was watching Girl Interrupted too the other day. And I kind of connected that movie for some reason to this top. And I guess because it was like a, a mental health, like they were in like a mental health facility in like the padded rooms. And I'm not going to say that's like what Margella was trying to say or do, but I think that that aspect of like a padded room with that's all white, the thickness of it, and kind of it has a bit of a the kind of aesthetic of a padded room goes with the Margella that aesthetic a bit. So I love the Margella padded top, the fall winter nineteen ninety five. Another thing that was super popular in his artisanal line, spring summer ninety one, was that cut open evening dress it was so chic and I saw a picture of a girl and she like paired it with a pair of jeans and it was so chic and I low-key wish like Rihanna would wear it I think she should I think that if she paired it with like like some like some high-waisted or high-waisted a good high-waisted denim I mean I love the cut open evening dress uh, another artisanal line was the spring summer of 92, the scars, when he used all the silk scars to make garments. And then when you look at the St. Martin Paris collection of spring summer 1992, you kind of see the, you kind of see the remnants of both. It, it connects very well. You really see the remnants of both. Also, the... Also, what I thought was super cool, and I think that everybody really loved, was the ice cube, the ice cube jewelry of spring summer two thousand and six, when he put the colors in the ice cube, and let it drip on the garments, and it kind of, what once you saw it down the runway, it constantly changed the garment. It's like he was seeing something different, and on a, on on white garments, and it goes back to what I was saying how I attested the the white screen quotations of the Margella brand to that moment on the runway on how 
while they're walking down the runway, I have a, the picture, one picture right here with the white silk dress on, with the ice cube jewelry, with the blue. And every step is dripping and it's changing, it's changing the garment because as I guess the color is dripping, the way the, the model is moving and she's walking down the runway, you see the colors and you see, and you see the dress and the movement of the dress and how the colors impact it and how you, you're seeing a different garment. I, th I was like, when I saw that, I was like, this man is a freaking genius. Whew. He just knows. He just knows. Like I said before, the Margiela $11 bill wallet was was one of my favorites. One of, one of my favorites. So now when you look at... I have a list right here. Oh, another thing. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm like sitting on my bed. Okay, so the cork necklace... The wine cork necklace was one of my, my one of my favorites. Oh my goodness! And now let me let me um, let me re reverse. So I always talk about this, and I remember one time I was like, "Why are you guys talking about this?" Like, okay, so 2012, we have to talk about the H and M Margella collab was very important because. He announced the they announced the first ever high street collaboration with h and m and the capsule collection we saw the brand take their archive pieces and revise them and make it more commercial for the audience and i have i have i have two margella pieces i have the i have the it was a men's sweater uh with the different teens and then i have the the um the structure jacket that came from the Stockman collection, and I will say this: that the Margiela and H and M collab, the the garments were so well made, and I have a few different pieces from. Oh, excuse me, guys. Mm. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I have a few different pieces from different H&M collabs and the Margella collab was one of the most well-made collabs. I mean, the pieces 2012, that was 8 years ago, the pieces still still are in amazing condition. I remember I was living in Atlanta at the time and so I'm originally from Chicago and Atlanta one thing about it, the line wasn't long at all. And I remember it was me and my friend and we were standing at the line in the H&M in, um, in Atlantic Station. And I went inside and I, I don't know, 2012, I was working at like, who knows I was working? I think I was working at like Caribou Coffee or Jimmy. I was working somewhere. And I, I was like, I got $300. That's all I got. And... It was from my check. I paid my rent. I had the three hundred dollars, and I bought one, two, three. Four, I think I bought four pieces, and nobody was buying like the pieces I thought they should buy. I was like, nobody's buying the no face watch, and nobody was buying the the 
the painted the white painted pants, the painted jeans. But everybody bought really iconic when you think about when you think them about the Margella belt jacket. I mean, Margella was able the collab with H and M was able to bring the archive pieces to the forefront. A lot of people didn't know about these archive pieces and it literally bought it. And and at the 2012 archive and resale wasn't as important as it was now to the masses. So now you have a designer bringing, you have a designer in this H&M giant bringing these pieces from 1994, 1995 into 2012 and making it mainstream. Now you have probably a spike on eBay of resale. People want to see the original, just a spike in Margiela as a brand. So that the, and the Margiela collab is one of my favorite and the most important one to H&M ever in my eyes. It was one of the best. So, but back to what I was saying. So the cork necklace was one of my favorites and especially his accessories because he was able to use you know like the court necklace and in ev- everyday things that we see every day and make these super cool accessories that people love and he and some in a lot of his accessories are one of my favorites like like I said the hair necklace the no face watch the uh the the the, uh, the silver cuff like the silver lock cuff the necklace and also let me reverse back into the into the stockman collection also what was important about the stockman collection was the shoulders and how the shoulders gave you movement and that was a very important into into how the dress form and how the dress form dress and top was made Sorry, guys, I'm looking over my notes and I put some things not in order. So I'm just like whipping through it like this is that. I'm like, oh, this this tidbit right here, this tidbit right here. So I think just, man, it's just so much. It's, it's so much we can say about Marcella. There's so many things that he, he's done and and he's changed into the landscape. And you know all we're doing we're cons- we're consuming this designer every day. It's, it's brands now still they're trying to be Margella. They're trying to be innovative, but then have anonymity and use everyday things around him. But don't want to be corny. Don't don't want to like use the things that other people use. Like you know you see a lot of re- we see a lot of rework work reconstructive deconstructive work. You see like people like using the IKEA bags. And you see, you know, like with the wallets, you know, people used to use like the the wrappers to make like the like the wallets, uh, to make like a, a wallet use like candy wrappers or whatever type of wrappers. And I think that it's kind of difficult to redo or try to even compare to what Margella has done, especially on the reconstructive and deconstructive standpoint, because he did it with with a chicness and with an effortlessness and it's really hard to replicate and it's really hard to redo and it's only been a couple designer 
that I that has been able to do that in the same way and get the same outcome. So I think that's it. I know that I feel like I've been talking for a very long time and I think that like I said before, Margella is one of my favorite designers. Top 10 past 30 years, probably top 10 ever. And I wanted to really divulge and dissect into Margella. And I hope I did a good job. I really wanted to not just have a long drawn out conversation, but really just talk about those key, key points into who he was and what his brand was and what his house was. And I think that we're done here. I want to appreciate, I want to say that I appreciate everyone for tuning in into episode four, Eyes into Martin Margiela. I cannot wait for the next episode, episode five. Please subscribe, stay in tune. Peace and love. Bye.